This is Blue Collar Culture, where you don't need ping pong tables, a cereal bar, or nap pots to attract and retain real A players. Join us where we speak with down-to-earth leaders that understand what it takes to win with a blue collar culture. Now here are your hosts, Jeremy McLiver and Ryan England. Hey, I want to welcome everybody back to another episode of the Blue Collar Culture Podcast. I'm Ryan England, your co-host, and I am here today with Jeremy McLiver. Welcome back, everyone. I'm really excited about today's guest and just hearing the way that Jeremy and him have so much in common and so much passion about the trades and blue collar companies in general. Our guest today was actually appointed by the governor of Arizona to be the director of the Arizona Registrar of Contractors. He is so passionate about bringing new people into the trades that he is involved with a ton of grassroots initiatives and schools in and around the Valley. I want to welcome to today's show, Jeff Fleetum, the director of Arizona Register of Contractors. Jeff, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for asking me. So one of the questions we love to start with is to talk about some of the misconceptions about the industry. And I know you've got a ton of thoughts and you're super passionate about this, but when it comes to construction, when it comes to the trades, what is one of the biggest myths that you just want to shatter for everybody right now? I think when it comes to the industry itself, so many people think it is a dirty t-shirt, no end, low brain power, no career opportunity. It's a fallback. If you can't do anything else, you can go into the construction industry. And that's simply not the case. I myself grew up in the business. Other people have grown up in this business and have magnificent careers. There's nothing about construction that doesn't involve science, technology, math, engineering, any kind of skill you can imagine is involved in construction, vision, art, the whole thing. And there's a wide variety of areas you can go in. It's not just being an electrician or a plumber or a guy in a ditch. It's a variety of different things. And it's an awesome way to drive down the street, look at something that, you know, like I have done 50 years ago, looking at that gone and going, my dad and I built that. That is an awesome thing. I love that. I love that you use that word technology when we start talking about this, because there's so many people thinking, oh, technology means I have to be a coder. Or I have to do computer stuff. And, and that's so not true. And I was working with a client and the technology, like they're using robots to build bridges. Like, it's just so cool. And these guys are still iron workers. They're still in the trades, but now they're learning to operate these robots and apply technology to this. And it just, it's amazing what they're doing right now. So Ryan, those kind of things have been going on for a long time. It's just becoming more apparent today that we see those things. Social media, you can see those kind of things. And I like to use the word science as well. You know, science is an old word that means to know. And technology is a new word that means to build. So thusly, that's where I came up with construction science technology professionals, because that's what we are. We're professionals. Jeff, you couldn't be speaking more my my language when it comes to this stuff. I love the passion that we're also we started having this right before we even got onto this podcast. So I'm <laughs> looking forward to jumping into this. We talk about this, we talk about the words, and we talk about all of that marketing. And I know you've been involved with BYFAZ. I was involved with it from the very beginning, going to a lot of the tours, looking at that. 
And you talked about some of those mindsets that are around hiring these young people. What do you think the biggest thing that's holding back the trades from attracting great young people to it? Well, I don't think there's one thing specifically. I think what you end up with is we do things that we just think are the right thing to do. So one of the things we did with part of the AZBYF effort was Arizona Commerce Authority, the registrar, and once you start handling the the material yourself and doing it. So we talked a little bit about that, the visual understanding of what's going on on a project. It can only happen when you're there. So, Oh, it it can only happen. I love that. The higher education, higher price education. Is that what you said? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't say it exactly. That way. Oh, okay. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I don't call it higher education because it personally, it is not. It's other education. It is additional education. So my one son-in-law is a pie fitter during his training was online stuff with Purdue University. Now, uh, had he gone four years to Purdue University, he would have had to come back out for four years to learn his job. However, while he was doing that, we call it earn while you learn, whether it is a formal apprenticeship program or whether it's, you know, like I mentioned uh, to, to Jeremy earlier, my first jobs when I was a little kid, I mean, little was pulling nails and straightening nails. But I also understood what nails do. It wasn't long after that that I realized that I found that a two by four. Now, if somebody's going to get me on my calculations here, a two by four on a bearing wall at 16 inch on center only holds 155th of its total load capacity. Now, why would I need to know that? Or what's the difference between a standard size footing and a monolithic pour footing? Why is one wider? Why is one deeper? All of those things. It's all science. It's all technology. And those are things you learn while you're there. So am I going crazy, Jeremy? Am I doing okay? You're doing fine because we're so passionate. Like, I was a, I didn't share my story. I was a straight A student in high school, graduated as a junior with a 4.14 GPA and decided not to go to college. My teachers pulled me aside, gave me the most dearest and sincere pouring out of, I was going to be a failure at life because I was choosing the trades. I was making over a hundred thousand by 23. I don't think that's a bad wage. And, but my passion was in the trades. My skill sets were there, understanding how all that stuff worked. I enjoyed being around that stuff. And I just knew that the other education, as you called it, was just not what it was going to be the right one for me. I feel like you and I are almost preaching the choir here about it, but so much of this marketing around this has been, hey, you got to do this to be successful, which you don't. You and I both know that. We've had plenty of people there. I would like to take this into the business world here a little bit and just ask you, so you've seen this, you and I are 100% aligned that we should be getting more people into the trades. What are some things that you've seen businesses do that you're like, that is spectacular to really attract the right people in, to help get the youth in? I know you serve on, is it EVIT's board there? Yeah, a couple a couple different places. I'm on the school board at East Valley Institute of Technology. I'm on an advisory council out at Estrella, out at Westmec, on several different boards or committees like that, Workforce Arizona. What are some things that you might have seen that you thought, that is fantastic? Like, that's a great way to message a youth, attract them. So maybe some, some good stories there. 
Yes, I, I think there's a variety of different things that I've seen that really seem to create some excitement. One of the things that's really kind of fun is what we did at one of Construction Career Days. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this. A few years ago, I've been involved with that for before I was with the Registrar of Contractors with the Arizona building officials. The first year we were there, we showed hourly wages. And some of the kids looked at that. And so we started thinking about that. We started going, wait a second, let's talk about not how much you're going to make today for an hour. Let's talk about your career and what that means and where you can go. And so we put together storyboards of here's where you start and here's how much you make per year. That's really more impressive. You know, when you tell somebody $20 an hour, they go, oh, well, but when you tell somebody uh, $42,000 a year to a young person that's 18, 19 years old, stepping into this stuff, that's a little more impressive. But then you also explain to them if one of the things, Jeremy, you know this and I know this, is if you just show up, you're ahead of 50% of your competition, just show up. Show up when you're supposed to. Be there at 8, you know, if you're supposed to start at 7 o'clock, don't be there at 7.15. Be there at 7. So those were some of the things. And we started doing that. I think the Build Your Future website uses that. I think Skills USA, a variety of people are using this income, the total income and career path understanding. Everybody starts at the beginning, right? But so many of young people today, it's not their fault. They haven't been taught or told that you start at the beginning. You don't start in the middle. So we tell the true story. This is what you can do, and this is where you can go. This is where you can go. Think of this. Think of what it would be. You're in sixth grade, seventh grade. You think this is kind of cool. You see this video by Arizona Build Your Future. It shows kids doing this stuff, and then it shows a guy on the job site with a hand control controlling a drone or controlling some crane device, and you see that. Then you find out, wait a second, I've got some of these skills already. What, how do I... Where do I go from there? And it's the people that are doing that. And it's, it's not everybody, but more and more are doing that where they're showing people those things. There's a, a group uh, that used at Madison uh, School District. They got some junior high kids and they let them build something every year. They paint it, they build it, they build dog houses or whatever, but they're showing them how to do these things. I think one of the things that we do as an industry that just destroys us and we say, this is an industry for people who love to work for their hands. No, it's not. It's for people who want to make a difference and who want to create and build things. I don't like working with my hands. I like seeing something, seeing a piece of dirt and going, I want to build this thing here. And this is where I need to go with it. This is what I need to do. Oh, wait a second. I need to make the building square. It's Pythagorean's theory. Where does that all come from? All of those kind of things, and then think about it. So, excuse me, I'll, I'm, I, I digress. Probably just a ramble, ramble, ramble. I got a question about that line of thinking. So, when I'm working with clients, my focus is entirely on helping them solve the number one issue of every construction, every manufacturing company, every home service contractor in the country, and it's finding good people. Like that's my entire focus. And you said something that I thought was really interesting. You started talking about, we've got to let these kids know. And we're talking about the kids today, right? We're not talking about borrowing a seasoned guy from someone else. We're talking about getting new people into the trades. And you started talking about the money. 
and how there's some really good money these kids can learn. I love how they can earn while they learn. They can get all this experience and have no debt. Like there's a lot of benefits there. But then you shifted gears and you started talking about this sense of purpose. I don't build my hands. I build something. I drive by it and I go, my dad and I built that 50 years ago and it's still there today. Like they're excited about what they've built. And I find that for most companies, they struggle with this. They want to pay an extra dollar, pay an extra dollar, pay an extra dollar, because that's the only way they think they can get people to come to the trades. But then on the other side, they're like, no, you need to think about this long-term, like think about getting to build the infrastructure of America. And, and there's this huge sense of purpose. And I find that those two things conflict each other. So we can either drive money or we can drive purpose. Like, how do we reconcile that? How do we get people to really dig deep into that? It's a, it's a multifaceted problem. So you can't just attack one side. You have to understand what you're looking at. And to be quite honest with you, some small businesses are, they're small enough and they're busy enough. They don't have time, but it's almost like you don't have time not to do it. Yeah. If you can't get guys, you got to put the time in or you're not going to have to remember this is private industry. But another thing also is this shortage of workforce, of construction workforce, it's not new. It's just bigger. In the early 70s, my father and I, we couldn't find anybody to work for us. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, everybody was out of work. And then nobody, there was nobody, you know, you're either like danged if you do, danged if you don't, and you're either too many people or not enough people. So what's the solution then? I mean, we talk about this. We've got the workforce initiative here in Arizona with the Greater Phoenix Chamber. We've got Build Your Future coming into Arizona. We're, we're going into the schools. We still got a shortage. I mean, people have been talking about going into the schools and getting the next generation into the trades for decades. And we're still here. So what do we really got to do? Yeah, I, I got you, Ryan. And I got you. They're talking about something's not doing anything. Just talking about it. Sure. You have to take an action. So... Here's what happens, and I might get muted by some of my team here. <laughs> Firstly, Ryan, government ain't going to fix it. It's not going to fix it. So where the solution is at the very front of it, it's teaching. Look, teaching kids how to code is a great thing, but who's going to build the building that they're going to code in? A construction science technology professional. Going to a higher education place is good, but who's going to build this massive building that you're in, a construction science technology professional, who is going to do these things? So we have to start, those of us in the industry have to start talking to young people early, but not everybody wants to do this. They're never going to, not everybody ever is going to want to do this. If we have too many people in the, you know, in the workforce to do the work, we're going to have, the unemployment's going to be there, and then we're going to have, have a problem. Part of the thing about construction, I apologize, I'm starting to get a little circular here, so in construction, for instance, once we got into production of homes, the way they're being, as one would think that that would be the way it needs to go, because that makes sense. You get into production mindset, you do all these things. So you bifurcate, bifurcate crafts. So a carpenter isn't what a carpenter used to be. A carpenter used to build your house. You get the mason to build the walls. The carpenter probably finished the concrete, probably did the other stuff, hung the drywall, did all the stuff, and then he started bifurcating now, we don't have carpenters framing houses. We have framers, okay? And then we have a guy that lays out the framing. And then we have the guy that all they do is pull the nail at the end of the nail gun. That's where the shortage is. 
And that is not a skilled position. That is Henry Ford's wrench. And so we've got a, a few different things. We need a bunch of people to pull the trigger on the nail gun, but we need to pay them enough to keep them there so they learn more and they fill the void in that leadership role. And then we talk to the young people. And so that's a challenge. That's why I say you have to start at the school boards. So one thing I'm hearing, Jeff, that you're saying, you know, and I loved, you know, you directed it to me and Ryan, and I want to just expand it to the entire audience listening here is need to be active in the school boards. We need to be participating out there at the grassroots where this is coming up. So I'd love to challenge all of our audience to go out there and to participate. I am very active in it with uh, running Arizona's Welding Advisory Board and, and leading the Skills USA state competition for welding and doing some of those things and being a part of these different advisory boards. And it's so imperative that these kids actually get to hear from real people that are having the real success. Because for none of us really probably listening to this podcast, it's not a big thing for us to believe that you can be hugely, wildly successful in the color space. So with that, I would love to just dive a little bit deeper into how the ROC is affecting that. You've got a ton of great contractors. You're attracting them, holding them to a higher standard. I believe that the entire industry is rising to a new level that quite honestly, the world has not recognized yet. And you and I were having a little bit of discussion about the word blue collar. And to me, it's a point of pride. And I know internally we can say that. But the rest of the world hasn't quite seen that. And I know the ROC has some big stuff that they're doing. You're running one of the most well-known ones in the country. So tell us a little bit about how you're removing those barriers. Well, thanks for asking, Jeremy. Firstly, the way it works is I've got an amazing team, and you've met some of them. And they're just an example of the rest of the crew that are here. So like I told you earlier, I'm just overhead here. They're awesome. But one of my goals, I, I have a, a ton of experience in consumer products by mistake, by the way. And in, uh, in the mid 70s, construction was bad. I took a part time job that ended up 20 plus years in consumer products. But we learned a lot about uh, customer service there. And so when I came to the register of contractors, my goal was to turn this into a customer service operation. And so our goal was is to find reasons to license people and let people know that being a licensed contractor in the state of Arizona is a marvelous career. We have a kind of a theory here, a belief here, that we're going to find reasons to license people, not reasons not to license them. So we began on a task of taking a look at a variety of different things that were required to become a licensed person in the state of Arizona, from our application size to specific requirements about things. And we started looking at some of these things and and finding out whether they really made a difference. You know, do we need to know this for you to determine whether or not you're a qualified contractor? And, and the answer to a lot of that stuff was no. The time frame for a small business person to get a license at, at one time was someplace in the, you know, three to four month range. You know, and when you're trying to start a business, that's a long time. You're trying to start a business so you can start your, you know, you can pay your bills and, and do those things. So we have, you know, from... And I think Jim just put, just just brought this up to me. We were asking for financial statements. You're a new business. You're brand new, and determinations were being made that you didn't have a whole lot of money in the bank, so you couldn't get your license. You go, wait a second. I'm a new bit. Are you kidding me? So decisions were being made about how you, Jeremy, could start your business by someone who would never sign the front of a check. 
or never understood that. So we started looking at those things from those ways and just chipping away at those little burdens and barriers. So trust me, there's licensed contractors and there's potential licensees that still don't think we're doing what we need to do. But we've removed a lot of things from, you know, if you, I'll give you an example. When I first got here, one of the things that hit my desk almost immediately was when the first week was a denial for a young man who wanted to get his landscape license. And this kid was in his, I say kid, everybody seems to be a kid to you when you get close to 70. So this young man was in his late 20s and he had had a DUI when he was like 19, like eight, nine years before. And his license was denied because of that. His license was, he was denied a license. Now, here's what's interesting. Statutes say that we can deny a license for character for felonies, not for something that you did eight or nine years ago. So we started looking at those things. That didn't make any sense. We actually license about over 80%, close to 85% of felons that have applied for licenses here. I'm gonna probably get into some area where some people don't like it and that's okay. Currently there's six felonies. Years ago, there only used to be three. So some of these felonies are for minor things that just get piled up. But in America, you're not guilty for the transgressions once you pay your debt to society. And these are people that we are able to get licensed. You know, I'm going to go on and on about some of this, little things like that. There's a couple of things you said in this, though, that as I was listening, that really resonated. First of all, you acknowledged you had a great team. And partially, we wanted to have you on the air because we knew that you had a great team. We also, you know, I work with a lot of companies, helping them to get more out of their people. Ryan helps them get more people. I help them get more out of their people. So when I feel like they're not getting enough from that, they're not as efficient, not as profitable. But a lot of that really has to do with how they're leading that team and how they're delegating and how they're managing all of that. Because just like everything else in the world, construction and the trades have gotten so much more competitive. The, the stakes are so much higher. And customer service is a very critical thing. I was GC in a job and we had a superintendent out there and we recognized real fast if we had made a bad subcontractor hire or not. It was real simple. The first day that that sub showed up to the job site and the crew jumped out, looked around, within about two minutes, we could tell you if we had a bad sub or a good sub. Because that, that foreman would walk up and say, hey, just going to get the lay of the land. And, oh, the materials aren't here? Huh, that's weird. Let me call the office. We have a good sub. It says, oh, the materials aren't here. That bunch of clowns. And just go on cussing. We're like, oh, we made a bad sub. And so <laughs> customer service starts all the way at the top with how we're taking care of our team, how we're building a culture. When we start building that momentum, I see it start attracting a lot of great people to that because great people want to work with great people. So one of the reasons I want to call out to the audience that we wanted to have you on is we noticed that our clients that were really knocking out of park took the ROC, took their licensing, took their certifications very seriously, along with everything else that they were doing in their business. And so it's really raised our respect for the ROC and what they're doing because as we look to raise the blue collar world and raise that image of what it is, we realized that the ROC and what you've done, Jeff, to really put customer service into it, to build a great team that's supporting it, to find ways that enable 
successful entrepreneurs that have a very construction scientific mindset to enable them to actually go out and do something. That's what we're looking for. So it's been an honor having you here. I know that you guys got a really cool project. We're excited to just share with the team and everybody that's listening out there. So I'd love to hear a little bit as we bring this to a wrap up here about the hard hats contest that you got going. Cause that is totally cool. Well, yeah, that, so some of that has to do is because we had to cancel a few things that we hadn't really set up. We had, we had a deal set up with the Diamondbacks where we had, uh, I can't remember, we had uh, dozens and dozens of companies that uh, were going to participate. It was a career fair at Diamondback Stadium that was all set up for baseball and then the COVID hit and we had to cancel that. And we're involved in a, a variety of other things that we had to cancel. So the team, Brianna being part of it and Jessica here, we were all kind of talking about uh, some things. That, and they came up with this, something to get the young people at least get some a little bit of juices flowing. They came up with this hard hat design. You know, so people go, what do you mean? What, what, that's not really a big deal. And, and maybe it's not a big deal. I, you know, I don't know. But we think it's pretty cool. So any kid, nine grade to 12th grade can participate in the ROC hard hat design. They can go to our website. And I think Brianna here, I'll make sure that I have that. It's on our website, roc.az.gov. And there's a hard hat link there for the hard hat contest that gives the, the requirements and the rules for it. We will pick from that. We'll pick like the top 10. We'll do that in the office and then we'll put it on social media for the social media to vote on it. We did, uh, Brianna came in and they came up with an idea over the holidays. They came up with the gingerbread house. The current deadline of this is currently April 5th. So people have time to do that. That's one thing just to keep a little bit of what this is in front of the kids right now that perhaps aren't in a CTED or a JTED. Maybe they'll, they'll, they'll get a look at the registrar site. They'll take a look at that. I want to thank you for letting me hear. You mentioned something about great careers. One of the one of the best things that helped me here was using Colin's book, uh, Good to Great, that we use in our career here to get everybody started. And then a book on trust that I think uh, any, any, any business person in construction should have as well. You know, it is, I'm not sure how many people we have had that listen to us when we talk about those things, but we try to pass on any sort of gem that we have during our contractor forums. We have contractor forums for people who are wanting to become licensed. We have forums for brand new licensees, and then we have ongoing forums for licensees. And these forums are where we do Q&As. We'll give updates on the registrar, and then we'll open it up for free flow questions. Absolutely. Everybody should be joining it. So how do we register for those? If you're a licensed contractor in the state of Arizona and, and you provided your correct email, you will be getting an email from us to notify you of that. And you're notified of when those are, and everybody's welcome to, to sign up. And that's where you'll get an update on what's going on with the agency. And we'll open it up and answer the questions that we can. If there's some things we can't answer in, a, in an open forum like that, we'll connect the, the participant with the proper department head, and they'll get it answered. So. so thank you so much, Jeff, for being with us. I know your time is highly valuable and highly requested, so we're honored to have you with us. For everybody that's out there listening, Make sure that you encourage students to go out and compete against the hard hat thing and then join what the ROC has going because we really, you all know that we're passionate about raising the bar and taking the blue collar world 
or it's may not be blue collar anymore, but raising that to the next level. So we will put some links of where to go. Just fill them out at the bottom of this podcast. And thank you all for listening. Thanks, Jeff, so much for being here. Thanks for having us here. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks, everybody. The Blue Collar Culture Podcast is sponsored by bluecollarculture.com. We help entrepreneurs create a healthy culture and build a self-managing business. To learn more, go to bluecollarculture.com.